Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, it's Tuesday, so that must mean another episode of Fraudology. And today it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I don't know if I'll be interviewing myself or just if you're going to hear a solo episode more about my own career and my why I fight fraud versus a solo episode on a Thursday where I usually am deep diving on a fraud topic or sharing fraud news. And last month, Andrew Austin at CarMax stopped by Fraudology and he shared his why for fighting fraud and you know why he started and then how his whys changed over time. It was a popular episode and a relatable topic, so I decided to make it a monthly occurrence at least through the new year, and it'll be based on feedback and popularity. So if you like hearing from a fraud fighter once a month more about their career and their why and it's relatable, let me know. If you don't, let me know that too. I want to know. And so I guess today I am inspired by Andrew. I uh, am going to share my whys. And while it's important to talk about fraud news and new exploits and trends and unique methods being used to deter fraud, Sometimes it's good to just get back to our roots and to remind ourselves of our own whys while we listen to other people's. Why it's worth the frustration. Why it's worth feeling unappreciated and overworked. Why fighting fraud is worth being skeptical of anything that remotely sounds too good to be true. And why it's worth the sleepless nights and endless investigations. It's not always sunshine and rainbows in our world. In fact, it usually isn't any of that. So we are constantly, consciously or unconsciously choosing to be in this role and we're choosing those frustrations and those challenges and trying to explain to people internally in our company why this matters so much and why it's so important. But today I'm going to try to follow in Andrew's footsteps, like I mentioned, and share my whys, W-H-Y apostrophe S, I know it might sound like you know, being wise, but no, uh, you know, share why I fight fraud and I continue to do it. And a bit of how and why they've changed and adapted over the years as my career path has taken more than a few unexpected turns. And because I think it's important to be honest with you guys, and I'm often honest to a fault. I mean, I often say that I just am incapable of bullshit, even if I wish I was at sometimes. I'll also admit that part of the reason I'm today's guest for all intents and purposes is because I've had a really hard time locking in interviews lately. Part of it's my fault with all the travel and the catch up, but also y'all are busy. Like fraud fighters are busy in so many ways. Some of it is you know, 2024 budget planning. Some of it is roadmaps. Some of it is getting ready for peak season for retail. Some of it is, oh, I've got this really big fraud ring that just came up and I've got to pay attention to that. And I 100% get it. I never once want anyone who's a guest on Fraudology to feel like it's a have to. 
So last week I had two awesome fraud fighters you know, need to reschedule. And as much as I tried to get you know someone else last minute, I was like, well, the show most must go on. So I, whether I want to be vulnerable or not, here we go. Uh, I'm kidding, but I just, you know, I'll try not to let you down as a guest today, but don't worry. I'm also not going to be talking in the third person or asking myself questions. That's a little, that's a little too weird. Um, so I guess the way I was thinking about why I fight fraud, it really changed, right? Just like with Andrew, you know, where he wasn't necessarily fighting fraud for the first half of his career, but he was fighting crime. He was fighting terrorism and, and other types of crime. And throughout the way, I mean, I kind of picked up on it and was surprised he hadn't that really what his superpower was, was expecting the unexpected and, and being able to plan for it and looking for the signs of danger before they happened. And for me, I mean, honestly, my first job in fraud, I mean, a lot of it was because of curiosity and I showed interest in the role. I talked about this way, like over 200 episodes ago, as far as my career path. But I started out in a call center for a merchant services company. And I, it was really just a job at the time. I was a newly single mom and needed something. And yeah, I was pretty good at it. But whenever there was a call that had to do with fraud or that I had to transfer over to the fraud department, I always wanted to know more. And so when a position opened up in their department, I applied and surprisingly got it. But it also... (laughs) It also paid a little more than working in the customer service call center. Actually, it it paid a lot more, but uh, that company didn't, let's just say they didn't bump me up to that pay rate right away. Um, That is a whole other story. And actually, it's kind of ironic that the next thing I wrote down was justice. I think overall throughout my career, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about what we do and what you do and just supporting you guys is my strong sense of justice. It has gotten me in trouble over the years. It probably has gotten you guys in trouble over the years. It can be very heavy to have a strong sense of justice, especially in a world that isn't always just. I try to remind myself that karma never loses an address, but it can be challenging, especially when you're just inundated with looking at you know, the worst users in your company, right? The ones who are trying to take advantage of you or your customers, it can make us jaded and it can feel like those are the only people around. But we can also sometimes get a superhero complex and think that we're saving the world. And I think I had a little bit of that in the beginning of my time in risk. And partially it was because of what some of the companies I got to work with, they were, you know, some of the biggest names in e-commerce at the time. But this was 2006 to 2008. I mean, they, they were very small. I mean, I've told this story more than a few times, but you know, Mark Zuckerberg literally had two employees in his loft apartment when I was talking to him about, hey, your chargebacks are over 1% and we need to get them down. So I got to work with these companies and just like really get thrown into the deep end. And I love problem solving, but at the end of the day, it really had to do with just, you know, wanting to stop the bad guys or to at least make it so, you know, it wasn't worth their time to steal from me or, you know, the company that I worked for. When I went on to start my own fraud department, a you know, year or two later after working in risk for the payment processor, I even, you know, ended up putting liens on mortgages and garnished wages for people who had filed chargebacks and we were able to prove that it was them and they owed the company, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And 
you know, that was my sense of justice. I mean, I would absolutely call them and try to figure it out first. But if they didn't want to, because we were a handbag rental company, they would hold on to these items that were, you know, worth tens of thousands of dollars. And I would say, please just give us back our stuff. I will waive every fee. Just please, we need to make a profit from it. But if they wouldn't, that's how far we'd go. So I think that 100% what drives me and especially what drove me at the beginning of my career was my sense of justice. It still drives me now, but in a different way. And I'll probably talk about that in a couple minutes. And if I'm being entirely honest, and this is me being very vulnerable, I don't generally like to talk about my personal life or especially, you know, childhood trauma stuff. But um, I had a parent that, uh, you know, some people could call a con man. Um, and I haven't been in touch with him for over 20 years, but maybe almost 30 at this point. But that really <laughs> set something off of me, right? Being watching someone kind of trick people and lie to them and manipulate them for their own gain. I knew I never wanted to be like that. And if anything, I wanted to stop people like that. So I think if I'm really going deep, there's, it probably, you know, would be boring for, for Freud to try to figure out, you know, why I'm in this industry and why I do what I do. Uh, but I, I don't know. I didn't want to mention my sense of justice without mentioning that it goes deep. <laughs> I think that's why sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes I get very, very frustrated uh, because I want things to be fair. Even though my grandmother and her quotes, she used to always say that the fair only comes once a year um, and basically that nothing's fair. She at least thought she was funny. <laughs> After like the 30th time of hearing the same quote, it's like, Ugh. but in a way I'm grateful because even though she's been gone for a few years, I usually don't have to wonder what she would say in any given moment because she recycled about 50 of the same quotes over and over again. So uh, I am appreciative of that. But in, at the time, especially as a teenager, yeah, no, I didn't think it was very funny that she would say the fair only comes once a year. <laughs> uh, when I ran my own team and all that, I mean, perfectionism really kicked in and I worked hard not to have any fraud, which you know, led to false positives and bad customer experience. I've had to learn the hard way, just like a lot of people. But I'm grateful that I'm able to adapt and learn and that I'm humble enough to say I will never know everything about fraud. I just won't. And I don't think any of us will. Now, am I grateful that I know so many incredibly smart people that I get to learn from every day? 110%. And I feel like I, you know, I know quite a bit. Uh, but I'll never know it all. And it changes all the time. It's changing every few years lately. And there are sometimes people that I run into who have a really hard time adapting and changing and learning from mistakes. And I'm grateful that, you know, of course I make mistakes. And when I do, I try to learn from them so that I don't have to make the same mistake again. I'm a big believer in the fact that life tries to teach us lessons. And if we don't learn it the first time, the next lesson is going to be even harder. So I try to learn it the first time. Also at that time, I mean, it became the thrill of the hunt, right? Like identifying new groups, identified what could be applied upstream to reduce chargebacks. In that role, it was really the first time where I got a taste of, you know, building something from scratch and getting to see the results. And for everyone who has done that, it's a high that you can't even explain. It usually is because it's been months, if not years of just every day chipping away at this and, you know, working on your strategy and putting the pieces together and having this hypothesis that if you do all these things, that the data will change. 
And really the data is representing the impact on your customers as well as, you know, keeping fraud out. And that was so fulfilling for me. Within nine months, I had reduced chargebacks by 98%. Now, I'm the first person to say that you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, I think some level of chargebacks is healthy because you can't stop them all. And if you're stopping them all, chances are you're stopping a lot of good customers. And I've worked with a handful of clients that have been in that boat and you know, having to retrain teams of hey, what you thought was fraud really wasn't. Um, That can be a challenge. So, you know, I recognized that that was too much, but putting in what I did was so fulfilling. And then I got to refine it, right? And then I got to say, okay, well, maybe we are canceling too many. How can we learn from that? How can we reiterate? And we did. And I'm very proud of what was done there, even if the company is no longer around. I still learned so much from that role and I'm incredibly grateful for it. And then next I went to uh, one of the biggest travel companies in the world. And it was in part because I had spoken at a conference about chargebacks. I really understand chargebacks in a weird way. And I think it's 100% because I started out on the payment side and had six weeks of intense training on everything from how the card brands were formed and why and all the rules and regulations. We had to memorize them. And, you know, chargebacks especially were so big because the payment processor I worked for was one of the first that really focused on e-commerce payment processing. I mean, this is obviously the olden days, but it hasn't even been 20 years since then. So the last 20 years have just skyrocketed and changed so many things in our lives. I mean, we didn't even have a smartphone back then, guys. <laughs> That's how old I am. But I had spoken at a conference and I had, you know, joined the chargeback committee that is no longer, but I still think that that's the, you know, the, the fraud fighting equivalent to like having the AV club in high school. But I, you know, kind of took a break from the front lines of fraud and from preventing it, you know, from identifying transactions ahead of time and, and canceling them. And I got to own a project for them that is still in place now. And I think I've, oh, I know I've mentioned that because I had a guest a little over a year ago who worked on that uh, team that I created. And that was really fulfilling to get to hear, you know, how my methodology and the way that I approach chargebacks and the process that I created for that company was very pivotal in their own career. And that's really fulfilling as well. And while I wasn't fighting fraud, I was reverse engineering orders and identifying first party fraud and friendly fraud. And that was really my directive was we're starting to get all these chargebacks with people claiming that they had their cards stolen or, you know, saying that there's my least favorite chargeback in the world. The one that I remember the most was a family who took a vacation to Hawaii. And this was you know, 2010, 2011, and somewhere around then, the economy still wasn't doing well. And people didn't have a lot of discretionary income, but they still wanted to have the finer things in life. And so this family went to Hawaii, and then they issued a chargeback, you know, I think it was around $20,000. It was their flight, it was their hotel, it was a package. And the reason for the chargeback, and this is back in the day when it was very easy to get you know, cardholder documentation on your chargebacks. Um, some still can if you use an acquirer, but if you're using a PSP, it's good luck. Um, that is a whole other conversation. But when I looked at what the customer was claiming, I think the reason code was not as described. And when I looked at what the customer was claiming, they said that there was more seaweed on the beach than there was on the website. My sense of justice then got pulled from... 
people who are stealing credit cards and you know trying to game the system there to people who are using their own card, people that you can't identify at the time. You can't just say, okay, in a month, these guys are going to call their credit card company and not want to pay the bill. And so it's impossible to reduce it that way. However, I really implemented, you know, root cause analysis and it really works. And I proved that to myself and that was so fun. And I really was so proud of what I did there. And then I actually got my first consulting gig after that and got to build the framework for chargebacks for one of the biggest marketplaces in the world now. So I've just been right time, right place in my career. And it's been fueled by my why, right? Because I could have changed careers. And honestly, I was talking with my husband the other day and uh, was talking about how when I was at the payment processor, I applied for a role internally. I was in the risk department, but there was a role for account management and it paid a little bit more, but I also really enjoyed working with some of the banks that we worked with. And so I thought it was a natural progression in my career. And I was really disappointed when I didn't get the role. And I still to this day think that I was more qualified than the person that did get it at the time. I mean, now they've been in account management for you know 15 years and, and they're doing great. But at the time... I thought I have so much more experience. I started out in the call center. I know how this stuff works. This guy just kind of came in, you know, off the street to a higher level position and doesn't have all the intricacies. And he was younger and, you know, I wasn't that old to begin with. So, you know, I think I was 26 maybe. And so I didn't understand why he got the job and it was a huge hit to my ego. But I was dating my husband. Well, he was my boyfriend at the time, long distance. And, you know, even though I wanted to move to Seattle, I had no idea how that could work, especially as a single mom to a three-year-old. And so I thought, okay, well, if I get more experience, if I make a little bit more money here, then maybe I can move over there at some point. But not getting that job was enough for me to say, okay, well, I don't think I'm supposed to be here for long and started looking at roles in Seattle. And a few months later, I moved away. And most people never get this full circle moment, but I actually was speaking at an event uh, in the Pacific Northwest, you know, where I'm from. And the hiring manager for that position that I didn't get was in the audience. And he came up to me afterwards and said, one of his biggest regrets was, you know, not hiring me. And I said, I have to thank you for not hiring me. That was a huge blow to my ego. And I really, I still don't understand why you selected him over me, but I'm glad you did. And I don't really care why, right? It was the right thing at the right time. And so even though that's a bit of a tangent, I don't know. I felt like it was important to tell that story. So maybe that resonates with some people that sometimes knows are the best thing for you. And I agree with Andrew that being in touch with your whys and really understanding them at the time in your career can also help guide you to the next step in your career. And that's really what happened to me. I not only enjoyed fixing things and you know really diving in and creating new processes and all of that, but I loved working with other merchants. I loved collaborating. I loved learning from other people. And, you know, my next role in the industry was a support role for, you know, the largest trade association in the world for fraud. And I, that was probably one of my most favorite jobs I've had, but if it hadn't led to burnout, I might've done it longer. Um, 
there was some dysfunction at the top in leadership at the time while I was there. So that made it hard to stay. But I was there for two and a half years that felt like five or six. Uh, But I gained so many friendships. And that was when I really learned that my why was changing. I still had that sense of justice. I still had that curiosity. I still was powered by wanting to problem solve. But I loved supporting the industry. I loved being on the sidelines and, you know, supporting them with whatever whatever they needed. I loved being able to, you know, learn from others and then cross-pollinate information and say, oh, you know what? Actually, there's a company in a different vertical as you that's seeing that, and this is what they're doing. I also got to learn how to kind of transfer questions into conference content. So what I mean by that, and I felt like this is a superpower of mine, I kind of do trend analysis in a way of you know people asking questions. And the more times I get asked the same question, the more likely that topic is going to be a session at a conference that I work on. At least in the past, I haven't been working on conferences for the last two years, but I do miss that part quite a bit. And that might be you know something that I would love to do again soon, because I do think that it's so important to have someone who has actually been in the trenches to be in a supporting role. And we need all kinds of people in support, right? We need solution providers with good technology. We need helpful, you know, consultants as well as I do that too. And, you know, the trade association and, you know, all of that, like we need good support because at the end of the day, I mean, we want to keep using my zombie analogy. You guys are fighting zombies on the front lines. So yeah, you need people on the sidelines saying, hey, do you want some water? Hey, how can I help you out of this situation? If you don't know who else to ask a question to, let me know. Because if I don't know the answer, I probably know someone that does. And that was my favorite. And that was a big part of my job was getting to help people in that way. Uh, But it was also, you know, helping them in a bigger way by creating content or writing articles on topics that they really wanted to learn about. If you're a regular listener of Fraudology, you've heard me talk about SPEC. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, but SPEC's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. Spec lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. Request your personalized demo of Spec's Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. Over the last year or so, I've been focused on trying to identify my own superpowers. And I think that's a lot of that has to do with trying to overcome imposter syndrome. I had a good conversation with, you know, Sid Shaw last week about that, but trying to say, well, what am I good at? Like, what can I do that maybe not everyone can do? And, you know, in the book, The Big Leap that I, you know, quote a fair amount by Gay Hendricks, no relation to me, they call it your zone of genius. I choose to call it my superpowers probably because, you know, like I said, all of us have a superhero complex of some kind, even if it's little. (laughs) But when I was supporting the industry in my first role, I found out that I had some superpowers. I don't think I really realized it until later in life, but or later in my career, but I loved bringing people together. I loved facilitating collaboration calls. As much as I talk, I try to listen just as much, especially when around fraud fighters on the ground, because I just want to soak up all the information. I love to learn. And I think 
We all have to love to learn and be adaptable in order to be successful in this industry. Because of course, fraudsters are going to adapt because as much as we adapt, they're going to adapt to us. It's that ecosystem that David Maiman talked about several months ago. Hmm, I actually really want to have him back on the podcast. He was so fascinating. Anyway, um, I also learned I enjoyed hosting webinars and you know creating conference content and creating programs. I got to create the mentorship program. I got to create, well, at least I helped start, uh, you know, a, a women's group, you know, in payments and fraud. And, uh, you know, that was kind of a seed of an idea I had before I left and, you know, was glad to see people, you know, trying to make it work after I left. I created roundtables and there were so many other, like the forums, I mean, so many other product projects that I did that I felt like added some infrastructure a little bit, right? A little more sustainability. It wasn't perfect. I burnt myself out. <laughs> I was, uh, constantly trying to please leaders that just couldn't be pleased. And I did way too much work, but I still am proud of what I did. And I am grateful for everything I learned. Other things that happened was I realized I'm pretty good at remembering people's questions. And, you know, like I said, being able to create conference content and going, okay, so many people have asked about EMV and how that's going to impact online. We need to talk about EMV, but here's how we have to talk about it. And here's the type of person that should be talking about it, that type of thing. Um, And, you know, granted, not everyone can go to a conference and that was challenging, but we tried to also make those available online so that other people could learn from them too. I've always loved the puzzles and helping, you know, people answer questions that they ask me because they don't know who else to ask. And really, uh, for both organizations I worked for that had conferences, I was the only person on staff that had ever worked in the industry. And so a lot of the questions fell on me. And I also got to be the bridge between people in fraud and the people I worked with, right? And trying to explain to them who we are and how we are a little bit different, but here's why and all of that. And kind of, that was my first foray into translating in a way, translating from fraud to the real world or to solution providers, that kind of thing. And I've learned since that that's a superpower of mine too, uh, is that I generally can understand and see both sides. So yeah, for eight years, I think it was that I ended up really supporting the industry in different ways, whether it was for the first organization or for the publication that had a conference afterwards. I That publication and conference are no longer, so that's a bummer, but I did do quite a bit during that time that I'm still really proud of. And I think it still impacted a lot of people over those years. Uh, it's a bummer that, you know, decisions were made to not continue it or well, really decisions were made uh, to have it not be as successful as it could have been. But that's a whole other conversation for another time and probably not for a public podcast. Um, but, you know, I like to observe human behavior and there's a lot of that as well in working with so many people and getting to just know the people who fight fraud for almost every online company. I mean, how lucky am I? And that's my why is that I have like fallen in love with our industry. I, you know, the people in it are are my people and I want to support them however I can. And I have been lucky enough to get to know a lot of people and, and learn a lot. And so I want to share it as much as I can. And that's really, you know, what what drove the podcast. It's never been an ego thing for me. Um, I really just enjoy helping others. That's what fuels me. 
that's what's one of my whys at the core is just wanting to help others, whatever I can do to help, whether that's, I mean, this last week I've volunteered at two pretty large events. Um, I didn't realize they were both in the same week in October because I was asked to participate in them months ago. So oops, but uh, I enjoy helping and volunteering in my personal life. And I really enjoy helping here too. Now becoming a consultant and, you know, really I became a consultant because I couldn't work full time anymore uh, because I burnt myself out. And I was so lucky to be able to work for the publication and the conference part time and remote. So that really kind of was a steady income for a while as I built the the consultancy, but it's been hard sometimes for me focusing, you know, there's been several times in my career that I've been trying to just focus on consulting and just focus on one-on-one merchants or, you know, the clients that I work with and just trying to build that. But I continually get pulled into wanting to help the industry. And I finally, over the last year, have kind of just leaned into it and gone, okay, well, maybe I need to do less one-on-one consulting and more supporting the industry, which is scary because there's not really an existing business model for that. But, uh, you know, that's one of the many reasons why I'm so grateful for the sponsors of Fraudology. Um, you know, if you ever want to support this podcast because you learn a lot and you appreciate it and it's, you know, free, certainly, you know, providing a review, a five-star review is helpful, but also, you know, connecting with the solution providers that are sponsors and just saying, Hey, I heard about you on Fraudology. I'd be interested to know what you have. Um, you can always ask them to not contact you again afterwards. But I happen to know that I partner with companies that aren't going to, you know, harass you either. At least they shouldn't be. But I'm grateful, so grateful for sponsorships and for my producer because it allows me to lean into helping the industry a little bit more. And you know, the way I look at it is we are still only a teenager as an industry and we have so far to go. And I know that the people who have been kind of that first line of creating this industry, we all have a lot of knowledge. And then the people coming after us have such a new perspective that they can look at the same thing we've been looking at for 10 years and say, well, why don't you do it this way? And so I love the fact that there's more than, you know, 12 ways to do something, but that you know, it's really structure and that when you do address the problem, you can see the results. And so, you know, I do enjoy consulting and I do enjoy working one-on-one with merchants and it does, you know, it's fueled by my sense of justice. It's fueled by my sense of wanting to help companies. I love seeing the results. I'm currently working with, you know, one of my clients right now uh, where we did the discovery phase and then we did kind of the implementation of the first phase for short-term results, uh, knowing that peak season is right around the corner and we wouldn't have time to implement new technology or anything like that. And just in September, we started to see results in the statistics of some of the changes that we made. And it's so exciting, especially when you've asked you know, your client, please trust me. I know this feels backwards, but I promise you it's going to work. And it does. And there's just this really awesome feeling that comes from that. And I get to do that, you know, several times a year. And I, for the most part, you know, get to pick my clients. And I'm so grateful for that. And then in addition to working with merchants, I've started to work with some very select solution providers because, you know, my sense of justice is not isolated to people who steal credit cards or who commit first party fraud. It's also dedicated or not dedicated, but my sense of justice is also 
really powerful towards some of the solution providers in the space that have lied to their customers, that have taken them for granted, that have gaslit them and said, oh, you're the only company that has this problem. Well, sorry guys, but if a merchant comes to me and says that, and I know that that's not true, I will tell them in a heartbeat and I will say, hey, perhaps you should talk to this person. I think they've had a similar experience. So that's one way that my sense of justice can come out in that way. But I also enjoy working with a very select group of solution providers. You know, sometimes they're the ones that are sponsoring the podcast. Sometimes they aren't in understanding the industry and in being able to rebuild or build their reputation so that the people who need them want to reach out and want to work with them. So Sometimes I think my ADHD makes it hard. Well, I know it makes it hard for me to focus on one thing. And if I could just focus on one thing, I could duplicate that a million times and probably, you know, be in a great place financially. But I've been blessed with so many different opportunities and I enjoy those different opportunities. So it can be a challenge to kind of get pulled in different directions and have so much context switching throughout the day. But At the end of the day, what it comes down to is I'm fueling my sense of justice. I am fueling or I'm being fueled by my sense of justice. I'm being fueled by my desire to help the industry and leave it in a better place than when I came. And I feel like, I don't know if it was around 40 or 41, but I started to really think about legacy and thinking about what do I want to leave? And, you know, as much as I have no shortage of ideas. The execution can be a little more challenging, especially, you know, when you wear every hat within your company. But that's something that's also driving me right now is my legacy and knowing that I want to leave the industry in a good place. And it's not going to be perfect, but it has so much potential. And the people at the end of the day are just some of the best humans I've ever met in my life. And It's kind of, I don't know, it's weird to some people that some of my closest friends in the world live across the world in all different places, but that's part of the gifts that fraud has given me that I'm so grateful for. And I know so many of you are too, where the friendships that come from fraud fighting are just unbeatable. And it's like we share this common truth and this common experience that not everyone does. And so it's this unspoken, hey, I get you. I've been where you are that I think bonds us a little bit too. One other point that I wanted to make about consulting that I do think um, is important and it's a lesson I've learned. I mean, I learned it when I had my first department, you know, for the handbag rental company and I've continued to learn it, but I think it's, it's often not mentioned, but one of my favorite things to do as a consultant is to be able to present data and information to senior leadership to help them understand just how important the fraud department is, just how important revenue integrity is. You know, going through the numbers and saying, hey, this is how many orders were canceled, but this is how much money came back and this is how it impacts every part of your business. I have started to implement that into working with my merchants because Oftentimes, that's really the backbone of how budgets are going to get approved. And, you know, if you're going to be able to go to a conference and all these other things is for your senior leadership to understand this is important and it changes all the time. So it's important to learn and listen from each other and be able to, you know, hopefully be a little ahead of the curve. So when you get hit with something new, you aren't thinking, oh my gosh, how is this happening? And you're spinning. Instead, you're like, oh, I think that reminds me of you know this thing that someone talked about at a conference or this thing that someone talked about on a collaboration call. 
And that can help so much. And so that's one of my favorite things to do as a consultant, because I've had to learn it the hard way. I, You can't be an independent consultant and not be able to pitch your services to senior leadership. You just, it's impossible. And that has been a challenge for me. I haven't always done it right, but definitely listening and learning and learning from my peers, right? Asking them what worked for you to explain this to your leadership. How did you present the data? What did you do with it? That type of thing. And so I still feel like I'm a little bit playing a game of Twister where my left leg is on green and my right arm is on red. I don't know if those are right together or far apart, but (laughs) you get the picture where, you know, I am still working one-on-one with some clients, either merchants or vendors, but then I'm also still supporting the industry because why not me, right? I feel like because I've had this unique background and career that I might be one of the only people to really try to bring the industry together in a new way and in a different way. And while that excites me, it scares me too. And I've kind of self-sabotaged for the last couple of years, knowing that this is my purpose, but knowing that it's scary and is going to involve a lot of faith. But I'm also so grateful that so many people trust me and that I would never trade for the world. And I try to treat that as fragile and careful as I possibly can. But I want to be able to bring more people together because that is the absolute secret of how we can really stay on top of things. And to be honest, the fraudsters, they work together all the time. They don't have privacy policies. They don't have competitors. You know, all that, well, they have competitors, but they've found like a lot of us have or should that working with your competitors and sharing tips and information is the number one way that you can stay ahead. And so trying to foster that has really just become a passion of mine. And in a way, sometimes that's a lot of volunteering. But one way that I justify it is that, you know, oftentimes I get great content for the podcast as well. But that's what fuels me, right? And so when I wrote down kind of, you know, what really, you know, those those five things, right, that are just, this is what fuels me. These are my whys. And I mean, of course, my family is my why, right? I want to make sure I say that. Uh, but I'm, you know, speaking more specifically to why I fight fraud rather than another career, uh, whatever career I would be in, my family would be a big reason why. But seeing the impact in helping to build new processes or to help groups of merchants or introducing people to each other and then seeing what ends up with that introduction, those things just make me so happy. It's like warm and fuzzies. It's please roll your eyes at that because it's so cheesy, but it's true. And so what with whatever I do, I want to see a big impact. And I think a lot of us do in this line of work too. And it's a good way to do it, right? Whether it's the impact of your strategy or it's the impact of your people leadership or it's the impact of your investigation skills. Well, I think we all want that in some way. So as you guys can hear, I mean, regardless of what I was doing within this career field, I've been fueled by similar things. And I think it's important as you go through your career to see what are you drawn to most? Because there are some people that are exceptional at product. There are other people that are good at, you know, product and strategy or people leadership. There are other people that are so good at the investigations that they will stay as an analyst forever because it's their favorite thing to do. We need all of those people. You know, there are 
people that you know, may go up a notch and you know, go out to the senior leadership. There's other people that are happy where they are just making an impact on the ground. There's so many different opportunities. And I think that, you know, one of the important things that we all can learn is how to translate you know, what we do to help other people understand it, because it really is. I mean, payments are the backbone of e-commerce. If you didn't accept payments online, you wouldn't have a business. And so it's important to not only know those rules, but know how you can keep the money and know how you can identify fraud before it happens. So there isn't a victim, right? And thinking about that end user is so important, whether it's, wow, we really want to reduce the number of people who are looking at their statement and seeing our company on it. And then when they're telling all their friends that their card was stolen, of course, they're going to say our company's name as where it was used. And people are just going to perceive that we don't have good security. Or you think about the customer that is really excited to buy your product, but it's an expensive product. And they try to make a purchase and they might want to ship it to somewhere where it's a little safer from porch pirates or, you know, an open apartment building without a doorman or whatever that is. And their order gets canceled, right? So thinking about those end users and trying to reduce those, you know, worst case scenarios of what can happen on either side. I think that whether I'm supporting the industry or whether I am on the ground, I think those are the things that really matter, right? Is thinking about the customers, thinking about the humans that are impacted by all this and making sure that, you know, as much as possible, they aren't. And that's, you know, really, I think at the end of the day, what we can call a good day. So you probably heard several themes throughout, you know, everything that I did, right? Because I had a career of twists and turns and unexpected things, but there's really five things that I wrote down that I feel like are at the root of why I fight fraud. I think the first one is obvious. It's justice. I probably should have named Jordan justice instead of Jordan uh, because I have such a strong sense of justice. And sometimes it gets me in trouble when I'm, you know, questioning card brands for decisions that they've made or announcements that they've made or getting very frustrated with solution providers that have been lying to their clients, but acting like you know, their product is perfect and then not understanding why those clients are leaving. That's really frustrating to me too. Just like fraud is cause and effect, you'll definitely see over the years, a lot of people flocking to a solution provider and then all of them leaving as well because they weren't taken care of forever. You know, at some point, a solution provider company, you know, may have said, we care more about our own business than we do the business of our customers. And that's when you're going to lose them. And so that also is part of my strong sense of justice. It's all the way across the board in so many ways. Helping is obviously another why. I have a strong desire to help others. I always have. And well, another one of my grandmother's quotes is charity begins at home or charity should begin at home. Uh, I try to remember that, but it's important to me. I love helping people and I love that feeling. I feel sometimes selfish for it because I'm like, it was more fun for me than it was for you to get to help you. But I just think that, you know, as I get a little bit older in my career and have a bit of a platform, if I can help others who I think truly deserve it, then I'm going to. And that's, I think, what we all should be doing in some way. I love people connecting and sharing information. That's why there's a podcast. That's why I enjoy creating the collaboration groups that I do. All of those things are things that give me joy, but also help others too. So it's a win-win. Seeing the progress and the impact is so satisfying. I don't know how to word that in a, as a why, but you know, knowing that you're going to pick up a rock and you're going to see what's underneath and you're going to try to fix it, but then seeing that 
result, those results in whatever I do is just very fulfilling. And it is what drives me to keep doing it. So I do feel like it's part of my why. And then the last one is curiosity. I love solving puzzles and I love learning. And I think that those of you who are true fraud fighters can really relate to that. So whether I was an analyst, a manager, a project manager, or product manager, or then supporting the industry in different ways, those five things have really fueled me throughout my career in different ways. And while I once thought that if I stayed in fraud, I would just you know, stay the manager route and keep going that way. I really enjoy having the freedom and flexibility to be able to do as much as I can to help this industry move forward. And hopefully in the next coming months, especially, um, I will be, I can't say I'll be getting over my imposter syndrome at all, but uh, I've been trying to find little hacks around it and having uh, a couple people who are part of the fraudology team and who encourage me to keep going is definitely helpful as well. So, all right, guys, that is my conversation with myself. (laughs) I hope it wasn't, I mean, I didn't, like I said, I didn't ask myself questions or anything, but um, I thought it'd be good to just do it a little bit differently. I don't generally talk about myself in other episodes because it's not about me. This is not Carice-ology. This is fraud-ology. And I like it that way. But I do think that there's something to be said for learning from other people's experiences and from listening to other people's experiences. And so I hope that in some way, listening to my experiences and kind of what I've reflected on and and why I do this, I might encourage you to do that too. Not only your whys, but what are your superpowers? That can clarify so many things for the rest of your career, right? What am I really good at? And what am I good at that, you know, other people aren't, right? What am I in the top 1% for? And I guarantee you there's several things for everyone. And that can really help you determine where you go next and what you do next. And that's really what has happened to me. And I just couldn't be anything but grateful. All right. With that, that's going to be it for today's episode, but I will be speaking with you more on Thursday. I'll talk to you then. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.